morning. My goodness. I told you all last Sunday, I said, you want us to push it one more time? And you all said, yes, in this service. First service was like, mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. And so this morning, it was so much fun to go and tell them, hey, guess what? Because of the second service, we pushed a little bit more. And you can just see on their faces, disgusted, y'all. You know? So, um, oh, my goodness. Good night. Now, here's the thing. Next week is the last week of this series, and we're going to push it one more time. Yeah. Nobody's going to die. Praise God, okay? I promise you, but you don't want to miss next week as we push it one more time, so, ah, God is good. I want you to open your Bibles this morning, if you will, over to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. While you're turning there, this is our fifth week in our Scared of Heights series, and this series has been an invitation to climb higher. That's what it's been, an invitation to see things like you've never seen them before, to to go places where you've never gone before. How many, when you asked your spouse to marry you so many years ago, you chose to do it from a high place, maybe a mountain experience? Anybody in here? Any? Okay. Good job, Jeremy. Hey, Jessica. These These are people that apostated and fell away from Jesus. No, no, no. They moved, they moved up in the mountains. And, and so it's good seeing. I didn't even expect you. Ah, it's good seeing you guys. But Jeremy did it right. He had mad style. He, he, he had her looking out over a mountain, you know, to where if she said no, he could jump, you know. He, but everything was there, perfect for him. It was beautiful. In the first service, we had another young couple that did the same. But there's something about that experience. There's something about that endeavor to get to a high place. And you see something like you've never seen before. And I believe spiritually, the last few weeks, we've been giving you some principles that if you apply them to your life, you'll start to see your Christian life. You'll start to see your walk with God. You'll start to see the experience of your faith be something that you have never thought possible. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so today we're going to be looking at this fifth week, and, 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 and I'll, I'll unfold that here in a little bit. But the thing with it, it's an invitation to climb higher. And climbing higher is never safe. It's not. There's always an intrinsic danger when you're climbing higher. But who wants to go through life living safe? I'm serious. There's enough safe Christians out there, you know. I I believe God's looking for some radical people that want to serve Him radically, you know, and and go to places in Him and through Him and with Him and by Him and do things that He desires that may just not be a little bit safe. Can you say amen? amen? But there is. There's something about not living safe. There's something about living on the edge. I mean, think about those young people. I don't ever want to do that. Okay? It would take more than one guy's hand holding me. That's the first reason. Okay? Now, shut up. That wasn't funny. And, um, <laughs> but I don't, uh-uh. There's no way I'm going to lean back and trust these people's hand that are extending their reach to me off the edge. There's no possible way. But listen, it's important to live on the edge as Christ followers. Why? Because that's where the people are. People living on the edge of sobriety. People living on the edge of marital strife. People living on the edge of financial difficulty. People living literally on the edge of hell and the flames of fire. People living, that's where, and if you're sitting here going, well, that's not me. It used to be you. And for some of us in this room that's not so self-righteous, it still is. And we still need God to reach to us, and we still need people in our lives, in our community, to help us, to hold on to us, to, everybody say, to extend God's reach. 
We need that in our lives. And God does that through his body. He has no other body but you. You are his body. Amen? And so when it comes down to it, like this, this microphone stand way over Mama, Grandma would say yonder, over yonder, there. This microphone stand right here, you know. You guys know when it comes to my life, I have really short arms. Okay. I'm like a T-Rex, okay. And so, I try to reach. I can't, I can't reach this, you know. Poor T-Rex. Aw. Okay. So I can't reach that, right. But if I have some people in community with me, that are also realizing the responsibility that God is using us all together to extend our reach, I just might be able to get my hands, in a sense, on that. I'm going to invite some people up here. Barbara, come on up here. Christine, come on up here. Marvin Civil, come on up here. Who am I missing? Nathan, Jason, come on up here. Am I missing anybody? Oh, I'm the sixth one. Okay. And so if it comes down like this, I'm going to grab a hold of Marvin's hand today. There we go. So if I grab a hold of Marvin, and Marvin has, and it's so on and so on. Oh, you think we can go that far? My faith was low. I'm sorry. All right. But you can see, okay, now, now here. That's a good-looking bunch of folks, you know. So um, anchored in such handsomeness over here. No. No. So here's the thing about this, all right? There's an extension of my reach that is touching that pole way down there, that microphone stand. Here's the thing. Let's allow me to represent the church, okay? There's an extension of the church that is able to touch that microphone, that person all the way down there that the church couldn't touch if we weren't all connected. The church couldn't touch if we weren't all walking in responsibility to community. Does that make sense? Let's make it better. It's not just a responsibility of all these to connect with the church. Forget the church. The church is nothing but the body of Jesus. So the heart of Jesus... That's, that, that's who I'm representing around. The heart of Jesus. When I choose to be responsible and connect and reach, and Marvin chooses to reach, and so on down the line, we can touch lives everywhere God calls us to touch lives. Come on, amen? Amen. amen. Now, this illustration is important for two reasons. One, I want you to see how we can extend our reach as we are all walking in responsibility to community, which is our fifth core value as a church, responsibility to community. But also, this is your executive advisory team. Can you give them some thanks, all right? I want to invite spouses to come up. George, come on up. Bettina, come on up. Liberty, come on up. Um, who am I missing here? Carly, come on up. I think that's everybody. The spouses are coming up. And, um, and, 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 and some of you guys know that we've had some transition on the executive advisory team. And the reason why is because Pastor Mike Gaither, a retired missionary that we love deeply, a lot of you don't even know who he is because about seven months ago he took a church in Rome. So he never got to this piece of property, you know. Been praying for us for years. How many, if you know him, you love him. Amen. At 70-some years old, he is knocking the doors open in Rome, Georgia at a church. He, has, he always says, I'm not retiring, I'm refiring, you know, and it's awesome. And so that's where Mike has went, and so we've transitioned some seats. And then Daniel, man, this guy here, we love Daniel, but he stepped down from the board because he's a reprobate. Yes. No, no. 
No, Daniel stepped down because his job has sent him all over literally the world last year. And he's back this year having to go all over the place. And so we're even blessed to have him here today. And so those two seats had opened up. And so what has happened is through the nomination process, we asked Christine, who was supposed to roll off this year, to slide over and to take Mike's seat. Mike's seat had one more year. Or no, take your seat. Mike's seat. Was, um, had one more year. So Mike basically rolled off. And then what we did is we um, did the nomination process with our leadership. And the two people that were nominated were Barbara Graves. Amen. And Marvin Civil. Isn't that awesome? So these are the two new guys on the block. And um, now Barbara's been with us for years. You know, she worked in our staff at one time. Now she is a guru, literally. When it comes to children's ministry, they fly her and she goes all over the country doing children's ministry curriculum stuff. Her and, and, and Tim, they work for the same people, the amazing people, amazing people. So just um, the orange curriculum, awesome, awesome, awesome. And so, but we've got her in a leadership capacity again, and we're so happy. And then, this is neat, um, this group then t- t- together, we nominate every year a Timothy advisor, somebody who is in their 20s that we see God doing great things in, and we want to kind of elevate their leadership as a peer amongst their peers. And so this year, we accept, invited this couple, you know. So, so we have Nathan and Carly in that role this year. And, um, and again, that's an appointed position, not so much a nominated position. And so, um, so this is your team. This is your advisory team. They give oversight to the staff. We're a staff-led church, but they give us oversight. You cannot know what some of these people have done in my life to bring growth to me, you know. And, and I know the newer ones will do the same in the next few years. So I just want to thank you guys one more time. We love you. There you go. Love you, Bettina. Thank you. Amen. Liberty, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Amen. Good stuff. So in the video, you saw literally that young man holding on to that person from a higher place. And if that man failed to hold on, if he decided it wasn't important to maintain the purpose of reaching out to that man, that man's future was literally in his hands. Literally, people's future are in the hands of the extended grip of this congregation. Wow, what a responsibility. Isn't that neat? I thought I just went to church on Sunday. I thought that's all it was about. Is I, I get dressed up, I look pretty decent, or at Momentum I put a t-shirt on, <laughs> a new t-shirt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And, and I go to church. And, and No, you're a part of something where the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Not because you're part of Momentum, but because you're a Christ follower. Jesus has come and invaded your life through his presence, you know? And now wherever you go, you're the extended hand of Jesus through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you realize when you go through life with that kind of responsibility, things are going to happen. Life change is going to happen all around you. And so here's what it says in Luke chapter 10. I want us to stand to our feet as we look at the scripture today. And we always honor God's word That momentum, just when we first start out by standing to our feet to read it. This is a passage of scripture where a lawyer comes to Jesus and he's wanting to know what he needs to do to be able to inherit life. What does he need to do to walk in God's favor? And it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Father God, I ask over the next few minutes that you would help stir our hearts to a place of responsibility as your body. That, Lord God, over the next few minutes that you would stir us in such a way that we truly would find the expression of our love for you lived out in our love for others, and that in the midst of that, great things would happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say a big amen. amen. Go ahead and have your seats. And so there's two overarching parts that we see to this great commandment, and the first part is love God, and it's not a passive love. Okay, It doesn't just say love God and love others, does it? No, it, it qualifies this love for God. It says love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your body. In other words, with your whole being, love God. It would be kind of like this with Amy. It would be like, I love my wife, but you know what? I, 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 I kind of love her. I mean, I, I love her intellectually. I understand we need to have children that works better in the context of marriage. So, you know, intellectually, I'm going to assent to marriage. And we'll go ahead and do a covenant together if we have to. <laughs> Most men don't feel that way, right? All right. But wouldn't that be horrible for a bride? You mentally assent to love me? You're, you're choosing with your mind, and that's where it ends? What about your strength? What about you doing some laundry, man? I'm telling you. What about... What about you ironing, you know? This is, this is Valentine's Day. I'm going to give you the best news, the best thing. This afternoon, if you want love tonight, this right here is awesome. <laughs> vacuum, the f- mm, vacuum the floor. Put on some Luther Vandross and vacuum the floor. Nothing says loving like chores, you know? So, all right, I, I, we got to keep going. But Amy would be remiss. There would be something missing in that relationship if I didn't love her with my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole being. And you know I love you that way, right? You can be more emphatic, right? (laughs) That's right. But it's purposeful, you know? That's why you men in this room today, you went and you bought stuff. And if you haven't, you're going to, you know? You're being purposeful. Maybe not very timely, but you will be purposeful, okay? And, and it's just an awesome, awesome thing, you know? In the first service, I looked around. It blew my mind how many pregnant women we had in the first service. Oh, my goodness. I looked around. There was probably four or five pregnant women. And I was thinking, we are growing the church from the inside out. And then I got all excited. I'm serious. And then I got all excited about it because I thought, oh, it is February 14th. That means next November, another wave of growth. Woo! Hallelujah. That's awesome. You know? Yeah, when I was 39, I'm 43. When I was 39, it hit dawned on me, and I called my mother. And my birthday's November 17th. And I called my mom. It just dawned on me. It took me 39 years to get there. And I'm like, Mom, was Valentine was Valentine's special in 1971? <laughs> oh, honey, real special. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, um, but I do thank God that, that there is babies in the water in this place. And, um, and you don't, if you want babies, this is a good place to be. All right. Where'd I go? Purpose, purposeful love. 
purpose, not passive, loving with all your heart, your mind. But here's the thing. It's not just good enough that if it just goes heavenward. No, no. He says, and love your neighbors as yourself. Now, the way I feel, I believe in the scripture, he has qualified what love looks like. Because how did he say you love God? With all your heart, all your mind, all your body, all, you know what I mean? And so to me, when I read this, now he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He is kind of qualifying. You love your neighbor with your effort. You love your neighbor with your will. You love your neighbor, you know, as yourself. But you love your neighbor with your mind, body. Everything goes into showing that neighbor the love of God. And so we live lives of love, and we live lives of love right here, right now. And in Scripture, it even says that all the prophets and all the law hang on these two things. Everything that we see in the 30, 39 books of the Torah, all of that, in this moment, love God and love others. But, but pastor, I struggle with sin. I, I know, I know, I know. Love God and love others. But pastor, does God accept me? You know what? Are you repentant? Are you Turn toward, love God. I mess up on this woman every, how many times do you have to tell me to make the bed? Not a lot lately. It's, now that's true, it's true. But probably three times a week, she keeps loving me and I keep trying to change, you know. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's hard, it really is. But when I'm coming down to what I'm saying is this idea of, 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 of actively showing that love. Everything in Scripture hangs on those things. Jesus said it this. He said, the principle of love or this thought, the principle of love and this practice of loving, it matters more than all other commandments, all other guidelines. Jesus is laying it out and saying, love God with everything and love neighbors. Love people that you come in contact with. In other words, Jesus was saying what matters the most is that we love God without restraint and without limits. All our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, that's what pleases God. That's what honors God. That's what brings a smile to his face. That is our first mission, to live in that love. But then the second part of that mission is to extend that love right here, right now, right where you live. How many's heard of Rick Warren before? He wrote a little book that was called The Purpose Driven Life. And, and, um, and I love that. What a neat book. Great book. If you never read it, go read it. But with that, he said, it takes intentional commitment. You must want to love. You must decide to love. You must make an effort to love. And you must persist in loving. This is love that involves the mind, the will, the emotions, and the strength. You see how that works? It's not passive. It's applying all those things to be purposeful and showing that love to the Lord, but then also applying all those things as we love our neighbors even as ourselves. And the best way to do that, the best way to show that kind of love to the community around is to get involved. You get more involved than you are in people's lives. That, that's really what it comes down to is this idea of being an extension of God and choosing to connect and choosing to reach there ought to be people that their lives are connected to God because you're reaching out to them. Now, I'm not saying you should be God to them. You're a path to point them to Jesus. But there are people in your life that need you to extend your hand to them desperately. They're hanging off like that young crazy kid off the side of a building. They need you to extend your hand, to be involved in their lives. That's what this is looking like. What's it look like to enter into the kingdom of God? What's it look like to be pleasing to God? To love God with everything and to love people enough to reach. To love people enough to realize I have something to offer. But pastor, I'm an introvert. I get that, but the Holy Spirit isn't. And all I'm saying, we're going to be teaching the Holy Spirit here in a few weeks. 
All I'm saying is the Holy Spirit has taken residence within you as a child of God. And all you are responsible for is just opening up opportunities for him to do his stuff. His stuff is awesome. His stuff makes the difference. You know, words that you might not have, he'll have. Ideas and actions that you probably don't walk in, he'll bring. But there's that desire to love him and to love others. And when we do that, we start to get involved. And here's what the the young man said. He said to Jesus, you've answered correctly, or Jesus said to the young man, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? But who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It seems to me like he's wanting to limit the reach of God's plan. Okay, He's wanting to, but okay, you say love my neighbor, but who's my my neighbor? And when I think about it, check this out, I don't think there's anything about God that's limited. He's a limitless, awesome, powerful, amazing God. Amen? So, so here he's saying love God with everything and don't put a limit on God. Love everybody. Don't, don't ask who's my neighbor because here's what the Bible says. Jesus said it this way. Go into all, say all, the world and make disciples. Go into all. That, that, that doesn't sound very limiting, does it? All's good. In the Greek, you know what all means? It means all. Yeah, that's not limited at all. He he said things like this, go into the highways and byways and compel people to come in. Man, not go over to a road, no, highways and byways. There's so many places in the world. There's so many places that, that people need touched by God. And so we see it's not limited, it's limitless, it's an open wide. I mean, even God's love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, these are big words, world and whosoever, nothing limited about that, right? But it's our natural tendency to limit. It's our natural timid, um, um, timidity to not live on the edge and not to reach out to others. And there's a lot of reasons why. It can be personality type. I get that, okay? Obviously, I'm an extrovert. I get that. But also, it could be the lack of confidence that God will show up. It could be a lack of faith. It could be a lot of things. It could be you had an abusive background. And I'm not going to put myself out just to get knocked back down. I, I get that. You know, Who am I to get into their business? You're a private person, right? And you don't like people getting in your business. But you know, there's some people around that need you to extend your reach into their business. Right? And get all up into their, everybody say business. I'm serious. There's people, we need that at times in our life. And so Jesus is trying to help this lawyer to understand a little bit what it means about this, 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 this neighbor. And so he replies in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The lawyer asks a pretty open question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus does a pretty Eastern thing, you know. He's not a Western teacher. He's an Eastern teacher. He's not going to go, oh, this is your neighbor. No, no, he's going to tell a story and let you deduce some of the things from that story and come to that understanding. I love Jesus. What a good teacher he is. And so he goes on and says, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, say saw him, him. he passed by on the other side. 
So now this is a Jewish man who is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He is beaten and left for dead. And now a fellow Jewish person from from the temple is coming by. I'm not going to say he knew the guy. Jerusalem had tons of people. But in this moment, a fellow comes by and he sees him and he passes by. And then a little bit later, a Levite comes, a worker in the temple. He comes and it says again that he saw him. Say saw him. And he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is a man who, really when it comes to the sociocultural dynamic of the day, would have been considered um, by descent, not a purebred he would be considered by descent, half Jew, half Gentile. He would be considered because of the atrocities that happened um, when the northern tribe was assimilated into the Assyrians. And, and it was. It was horrible what happened with paganism overtaking and mixing and mingling with Judaism. It became this group that, that the Jew, a good Jew, just could not accept. They're very difficult to accept their practices, you know. But here's a Samaritan from that group who's not seen somebody who is Jewish He's not seeing somebody who is Samaritan. He's not seeing somebody who is Ethiopian. He's not seeing somebody for their tribe. He's seeing somebody who's broken, busted, disgusted, in the middle of, a, of, a, of, a, of the road, the side of the road, just beat up, robbed. And it says that he saw him, and he was moved with compassion. I love it, too. He came where he was. You see that? He came where the others looked and passed by. He came where he was. It takes effort to extend the reach, church. We have to go where people are. And that person could be your neighbor. It could be your family member. Listen, you've got to understand this. A lot of times our reach that needs to be extended from God is to our own children and to our own spouses. I'm not not just talking about reaching the lost, guys, and the world. Sometimes that reach, that extension of the Lord needs to happen in the house. Does that make sense? And so he has compassion. The Greek word for compassion, I love this. It literally speaks of like a stomach that churns, that feels so deeply that it has to act. It's not just pity. It's not, oh, it stinks to be you, right? No, it's a deep, deep desire to make a difference. The Bible says that Jesus, when he looked out over Jerusalem, he was like a city without a shepherd. And he weeped over Jerusalem. He had compassion, it says, over Jerusalem. And those sheep needed a shepherd. They needed somebody to guide, lead, protect. Listen, there's people in your life. If you're a child of God and you got saved yesterday, there's people that need you today. If you get saved in this house today, there'll be people that will need you tomorrow to be a shepherd in their life. To be somebody that watches out, to help leads, to help guides. But it takes compassion. It takes a, i got to do something about this. I don't know if you can hear that in there. Loving God with all your heart. Remember how it was that girl that you dated? You know, your wife maybe now? You know? And it's just, oh, I, I hurt I loved her so much. How many hurt you loved him so much? Right? She broke my heart a couple times. No. But I hurt. It's that love. It's that love, that deep, oh, loving with all my heart and my mind and my body and my strength. God, please, I want that for those in my community. I want that for those that you bring across my path that need me to extend my reach because they're hanging into tragedy. 
Help me be the hand of God. Amen? And so here we see this idea of compassion. What it is about compassion, it will not allow you to see and pass by. True spiritual compassion. It won't allow, you can't see and pass by. In verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds and he poured oil and wine. That was his oil. That was his wine. That was his stuff sacrificed. He set him on his own animal. That was his comfort because now he has to walk the rest of the way to Jericho. He sets him on his own animal. He brings him to an inn. He takes care of him. The next day, he takes out two denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So two days worth of income, and he gives to the innkeeper. So now he's invested financially, and he says, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. It wasn't I did the good deed and now I forget about it. I've got a responsibility to come back. Listen to me. There are people in your life that need you to come back. Neighbors that need another coffee visit with you. A teacher that just needs to hear your heart. You know, a workmate that needs you to come back and with compassion continue to do what God is doing in their life. Just that next word, that next action, that next thing. And he said, I'll come back. This isn't a once-in-a-lifetime pass-by thing. This, yeah, I'm invested in you. I, I believe, I'm called to help you. It goes on down, and Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Isn't that good? This good Samaritan we call the Samaritan, this one that wouldn't have got many people's attention at that time, probably would have got their disdain. This man who his compassion superseded the sociocultural taboos of the day, and he reached into the life of that Jewish man that was hurt on the road to Jericho. And he poured in oil and he poured in wine. He acted as the church. The church still has a call to pour in oil and to pour in wine. Amen? That's a, that's a symbolism of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. We still have a responsibility as the caretakers of the move of God. He, he invests in us. That's, can you see why it's so important that we can't say, God, we're a believer and we love you and we don't love people? Because God's going, let me get at the people. Let me do what I need to do, but I got to do it through my body. You're my body. You can't just love me and not extend the reach to others. Does that make sense? But he looks for us to be the caretakers that would partner with him and pour in oil and pour in the wine. I mean, he's the supply. He just works through his people. It's so important for us to align ourselves. Aligning ourselves to the move of God is missiology. Okay, can I talk into this a little bit? Missiology is basically the study of mission work. Okay? And we see this man on mission. And we see God setting us up to be on mission. And there's an actually a, a missiological thing that really has taken over the church in the last 35 years or so, 40 years or so. It's called the homogeneous, I'm going to try to say it right, homogeneous principle. Homogeneous principle. And it's basically the idea that people are willing to come together based on similarities. So we all look alike, so we'll all go to church together. You know? Or when it comes to reaching the community, we reach the people that look like us. We don't reach the people that don't look like us. We're not comfortable with the people that don't look like us, act like us, talk like us. And so we just hold back and, and through the homogeneous model, you know, we reach those that look like us. Okay? 
And church growth experts will tell you this is one of the fastest ways to grow a church. Find a subculture that you can really grab a hold of, and everybody looks the same. You go get everybody that looks like that. It's really a, a, a great way to start a church, you know. And it's basically saying this, my neighbor is someone that looks like me, acts like me, talks like me. My neighbor is like me. But in this teaching, Jesus tells a story where the hero of the story is a person they would be inclined culturally to despise. He, sh- he just shifts the whole thing. And he's like, the neighbor doesn't have to look like you. The, labor can be, the neighbor can be very dissimilar to you, but the neighbor is hurting. The neighbor needs oil and wine. The neighbor needs your labor of love. The neighbor needs your hand extended. And so this person who was a mixed descent, this person that culturally was all mixed up in their faith and their beliefs and is the one that reaches out. The second half of the commandment we see here is to love people. It's people that we don't understand. I really believe the context of this narrative is telling you, don't love the easy. Love the ones that are the misfits. Love the ones you don't understand. Love the ones that are not culturally like you. Love the ones that may not be similar, maybe a little bit dissimilar to you. And you know what? That may not result in the fastest growing church in town. But we'll look like heaven. Come on. Why do people hoop in here? Because we got a lot of rednecks in here. That's why we hoop. I'm serious. But you know what? We got white collar and blue collar. And we've got African Americans and Haitian Americans. And thank God God's bringing us beautiful people of all backgrounds. Del, our Puerto Rican. I was trying to remember that, the word, but, 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 Bariqua, thank you, yeah, ah, a Bariqua hermana, come on, that's cool right there, you know, oh my gosh, Rose, I gotta get down here, we've got young people, we've got old people, Oscar thought I was gonna touch him, I said, um, (laughs) just teasing, no, Rosalie, oh, what a sweetheart, oh, I love this lady, oh, so sweet, Rosalie, so sweet, Asian people. Who knew? Asians in Woodstock. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Rich people, poor people, more poor people. <laughs> God, bring us some rich people. Just a few. Just a few. Boy. Um. Huh? Bad Ross, yes. Bad pastors and good pastors like Corey. You know, Every, everything, all the, I love it. So when it comes down to it, though, God's creating a neat, it's not homogeneous, it's, it's mixed up, and I love it. And I'm just praying God help us to become more mixed up. Amen? That's a beautiful thing. I got to keep preaching, I'm sorry. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to just go love on people. And one of the groups that we went to love on was construction workers, you know. So we came in and we packed bags for construction workers for lunch. And, and we show up at this one work site and there were all Hispanics on the work site. And I'm going to say something beautiful about Hispanics. I love this. And I knew this was going to happen. There was three guys on the, on the roof. And we kind of thought it would be kind of a quick thing because if those were gringos, they're not coming down. Just being honest, okay. But I told our team when we got there, I'm like, you watch. Those guys, every one of them, they're going to come down. 
you know. They're, they're, and they did, as soon as we got there and we showed, we have, we have you know, comidas, we have food. And, and it was like, you know, they're asking, hold on. And they're taking their gear off. And they're, they're a beautiful, beautiful culture. I love that. And they all came down. They came out. We gave them food. And we talked with them and, and, and as best we could in Spanish. And, and with them trying to interpret one of their guys and, 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 and one of our guys trying to, to, to help us. And, and, and then I said, can we pray with you for anything? And the one guy said that he didn't know how to pray, you know. We'll pray with you. And so we got to pray and, 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 and just invoke the name of Jesus in that moment. And ask, we asked if there was any healing, anything that needed to be prayed for. It was a powerful, beautiful thing. Culturally, it was difficult, you know. But I know they saw Jesus in the midst of it. Amen. And it was uncomfortable as a gringo to put my neck out there and for us to put our necks out there. But that's where our necks should be. That's where the extension of our reach should be. Not just all the similarity and people that's easy, but the more difficult. Amen? Amen? Who knows? Maybe I, I say that we need to have momentum espanol someday, you know? But, but, a, but a friend of mine down the street at, at Fuente de Vida, he, he, David, he's an amazing pastor, you know, who's the Southern, Southern Latin, someone's a God superintendent, you know? And I love that guy, you know? So there may be some partnership. I don't know what we'll do, but I just, ah, my heart's going, God, we've got to extend our reach, whatever that might look like, you know? And so we love our neighbors. It's not about being similar. It's not about likeness. It's about love. I say one more time, it's not about likeness. It's about love. We love God. We love others. Now, here's what it says in Matthew 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but on the goats he'll place them on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow, this is a heavy, heavy scripture. So he's separating people, goats and sheep, and he's going to start to show the definition of why he's separated he said, for I was hungry. He's saying this to the sheep. And you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Why? Because you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and you love others, even as yourself. The love you show to others validates the love you show to God. You've done it to the least of these, and in doing so, you've done it to me. Man, that, that, God, that's heavy. I, I, I don't want to miss that. So what does that commandment mean for us as a church, as a people? Our core value, number five, is this, responsibility to community. And obviously, as a church, we do corporate things, but you are that people that need to be responsible. You're the church, and we value a healthy awareness of our responsibility to community and to the world reinforced by corresponding action. We have 15 missionaries. By Easter, we'll have it up on the board. We, we have everything from the other church. We just haven't posted it. But 15 missionaries, that's, our, that's out in the world. But our lives daily are lived as missionaries. You're extending that reach. Jesus said, if you love the least, you have loved me. And so in looking at the scripture, just a few things and we'll close. We see a giving community. 
He said this, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. If we're going to be in a community that extends our reach and love God and love others, we need to be a giving community. You know what blew my mind when I looked at this? It kind of says it this way, that Jesus at the end of the world, he's dividing people into two groups, givers and non-givers. Lovers and non-lovers. That's heavy. I thought it was just Christians and unchurched or unbelievers. Well, I get that. I'm just, I'm just showing this scripture. All I'm saying is the scripture is showing a separation between sheep and goats. And to the sheep, he says, you're righteous. To the sheep, he says, you have given drink. You have taken care of the needs of the food. That's, that's wild. Now, if you're here today and you're going, well, I know I'm a believer, but I struggle. I'm not saying you're not a believer. Come on. Amen? Amen. But I am saying this is what believers do. Jesus, help me to practice what believers practice. The second thing, a welcoming community. So you're a giving community. Number two, a welcoming community. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. That idea of that stranger, that person that doesn't normally fit, that person you wouldn't normally reach out to. And a lot of times in some churches, it's really hard to get through the door of the church. You know, you feel like you've got to measure up. And man, thank God, this has always been a place where it doesn't feel that way. Amen? Amen? We strive to walk righteous before the Lord, but we're not going to look down our nose of self-righteousness at anybody. Not anybody, because we know we're all works in progress. We're all on this journey, and we need each other on the journey. Amen? And so we see here this idea of a welcoming. And you know, some of you all, when you came, and you may be a first-time guest today, when you came, you thought, man, these people are strange. <laughs> you know what? When you first came, we looked at you, and we thought, man, these people are strange. <laughs> That's good. Together, God has something for us. Amen? The next thing, a caring community, a caring community. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. This is just what it looks like to extend the reach, okay? A caring community. To have that pure religion, you must have a caring heart. This is what ministry outside the doors of the church looks like. True ministry isn't about what happens here. It's what happens outside of here. And your hands extended allows us to reach the goal. Your hands extended allows us to take the heart of God and touch our community. Let's stand to our feet. And then finally, a forgiving community. A forgiving community. I was in prison and you came to me. And you say, well, I don't get that. What do you mean a forgiving community? Somebody who is in prison has had an infraction of the law and they've done wrong by society. And when we visit we're saying we understand that you're paying the price of that penalty, and we forgive you. Now, here's the thing. That's brick. That's steel. That's jail. I get that. But there are people you're going to come in contact with that are in prisons of sin and addictions, and they need to see and feel the forgiving power of Jesus in and through you. Yesterday, I picked up a couple of hitchhikers. And when I picked up the hitchhikers, I like doing that because they're a captive audience. It's awesome. <laughs> And I could tell they were pretty methed out, you know. And I got to talk with them and stuff and minister to them. I'm not going to say their names, but I know their names. I'm praying for them. I know where I dropped them, and I'm hoping I can make another connection with them. Obviously, I invited them to church, you know. They need that sense of, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to shame you. Bound to sin, I'm not going to shame you. I'm going to walk in forgiveness with you. People at that rock bottom, they need to know the church is there. Yes, some people will make it difficult to love them. 
But don't be afraid. Live on the edge and extend the reach of God to them. Yesterday, one of the construction sites we went to, as we came on the site, the site manager is going like this, and he's going like this, you know. And I thought, well, is he asking for tea? No, he got Cokes. You know, I didn't know. But he's saying timeout is what he's saying. He's coming down the hill, and he's just, no, no, you can't do this. And when he comes down, we show him what's in the box, you know. What was in the box, it was concealed from him. And when he saw that it was food for his workers and for himself, his arms opened we got to show the world what's in the box. There's good stuff in here that you have, the Holy Spirit has inside you. you got to show them what's in the box. There's good stuff happening inside the four walls of this physical church. we got to show them what's in the box. And so we gave him the food. He goes up the hill. He turns around and he waves and he's like this. And that was that. We're giving out to some other people down the bottom of the hill. And when it was all said and done, the folks up on the top of the hill had got all their food. And all we heard all of a sudden was, Momentum! We looked up, and all these guys, they're all, all waving, you know? And they know it's not just about momentum. It's about Jesus. You know, we were clear that we were doing it to show the love of Jesus. So they were waving with an expression of thanks. In the last three decades, what the church has done, and this is a good day for us to embrace this, what the church has done is we've tried to attract similar people and make church comfortable and convenient. That's what we've done. Church growth strategy. Reach the similar, make it real comfortable and real convenient. Sorry, Jesus died on a cross. It wasn't real comfortable nor convenient, you know. He says we carry a cross. That doesn't sound real comfortable and real convenient. But the rewards are great. Some would say they're eternal. Souls, lives changed. Amen? And so as a church, what if, what if pursuing this as a church on a whole, not just momentum, but on a church on a whole in America, what if pursuing this idea of discomfort in our theology, you know, as far as active and living our theology, what if it created a place numerically that was smaller? Would we be okay with that? What if it created a place that was full of wild-eyed zealots, passionate for what God is showing the world through his love, the love of a Savior, even if it means discomfort to us? Would that be okay if we embraced a life of discomfort to show the love of Jesus? I think what that means is that we venture into places that we don't feel like going. We do things we may not wish to do. We are with people that we may not feel real comfortable being with. We love them, we serve them, we help them. And yes, that is reflected in the outreaches of the church and the mission endeavors that we put our money to, but it's more reflected in your daily life at work, at home, in the neighborhood, and so on. And I want us to be people that go after the marginalized. Amen? Let me close with this. Jesus was a teacher. He's a rabbi. And at that time, rabbis would have young people, about six years old, start to follow them in the ways of their teaching and the ways of their interpretation of Torah. And long story short, by the time they were 13 or so, 12, 13, 14, the best of the best would start to really get the rabbi's attention. And if it went really well, they were invited to, to continue to study with the rabbi. If it didn't go so well, they were invited to go back home and go do the family business. Here's what I love about Jesus, our rabbi, Jesus. He goes and he says, and these rabbis would say, come follow me. And they would follow in the footsteps of the rabbi. Jesus says to fishermen and tax collectors and people that were 
apparently far off from the best of the best when it came to spiritual things. And he looks to them and he says, follow. The rabbi rejects. He says, come, follow. This is why your pastor can be used by God. So I'm a rabbi reject. I told you before, I was kicked out of Christian school. They asked me not to come back, you know. God has a way. And all I'm saying is for us to be like Jesus and to reach out to those that maybe others may not reach out to. To live as extensions of Jesus' hands, reaching out to those on the edge. And if we're going to do that, it will take us embracing a theology of discomfort, much like the Samaritan, when it cost him his finances and his time and his ease. But the Holy Spirit's drawing us to that. Amen? Close your eyes just for a moment. Father God, I ask that you would help us to love you. Father, I ask that you would help us to love people. And Lord, help us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit to extend your reach into the hearts of many. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.